0: This morning, I just want to say that, you know, we are in the middle of a pandemic and that has taken a lot of things from us. The COVID pandemic has taken jobs, it's taken finances, it's taken, you know, some of our mental health. Many people are being challenged because they they feel fear, anxiety. People have uh, been challenging their businesses uh, during this time and uh, employment and family ties, relationships. And, you know, my, my mother passed away recently and then my siblings couldn't come back from overseas. And just, just that agony of it, they just, they just couldn't come back. And so it does disruptions to, to family ties. And above all, it's, it's disrupted our nation in a way that we can't even imagine. You know, and somewhere, you know, somewhere in this pandemic, we have even had a change of government and loss of democratically elected government. And things have changed at an incredible speed. And today, I want to bring a word for each and every one of us. Because, you know, this COVID pandemic is not just here for this, for this now. If you look towards the future, humanly speaking, it's going to stay with us for a while. What's going to change the situation? Only a vaccine can change the situation in terms of public health and medically speaking. Only a vaccine can do it. And the front-runner vaccine right now is Oxford University's uh, uh, AstraZeneca's vaccine that's on trials. They're pretty open about it. They're at a pole position right now. And even if they produce a vaccine, when will it be? It will be probably the middle of next year. But even if it came out in the middle of next year, you and I will probably not take the vaccine because of concerns about safety issues. Many people will be like that. They will like, just wait a while and see, you know. And it will probably be about nine months to a year when people begin to take the vaccine, provided it's safe uh, in larger numbers. So what will 2021 be? Even if the vaccine comes in the middle of the year, it will be the same as 2020 like what we are having today. And what will 2022 bring? Well, the vaccine uptake will begin during that time. And we'll need about 80% vaccination in our country before we can dispense with SOP in our country. How long will it take to vaccinate about 80% of our country? Well, I will tell you one thing. Malaysia is right at the back of the queue. It's not even in the queue right now. 78 nations have queued up to book the vaccine. Malaysia is not, haven't even begun to queue. So you know what? Even when we begin the vaccination, if we do, it would take a while, you know, it would take more than nine months, more than a year to even begin to have significant uptake of the vaccine in our nation, which means 2022 is going to be pretty much like 2021, which is very much like 2020. So this is the thing. In this period of time, how are we going to look? What are we going to do? Where do we look to? Where do our hopes lie? We have aspirations. We want things to change. I would tell you the, the, the pandemic has robbed and taken a great deal from many of us. As I've said before, we've lost many, many things. Today, I want to give you a word right now, all the way from Saba, to each and every one of you in this nation, on site, online. I want to speak about pursuing and recovering all. Pursuing and recovering all that the enemy has taken from us. We must pursue. Everybody say pursue. We must chase. And we believe in Jesus' name, God will give us both the strength and The authority and the wherewithal to recover all. How many of you want to recover all? Not just in part, but all. Can somebody say, recover all? I want to tell you about pursuing and recovering all in the story of a chicken. Somebody was actually driving along the roadside in the countryside at 60 kilometers an hour and suddenly he found a chicken running alongside his car. He looked at it and lo and behold, it was a three-legged chicken. He had never seen a three-legged chicken before. So he decided, this is strange, a fast chicken. So he stepped on the gas a bit and got up to 80 kilometers an hour. And the chicken, within a short space of time, caught up with him and was running alongside the car. And he said, this is Mm. amazing. Let's try and test it at a higher speed. So he stepped on the gas, went up to 100 kilometers an hour, and lo and behold, within a split second, the chicken had caught up with him. Then overtook the car and just ran off into a side country lane. And he decided to give chase. Chase this interesting chicken. And the chicken was outpacing him all the way. Eventually, it ran across a farmyard and over the hill and he lost the chicken. But he, he came to a screeching halt in the farmyard. He looked around and he saw the farmer. And he said, excuse me, he said to the farmer, did you see a, a three-legged chicken running across here? Sure did, said the farmer. I rear three-legged chickens. Wow, that's amazing. That said the man, three-legged chickens. Why do you rear three-legged chickens? Well, said the farmer, it's like this. I love drumsticks, my wife loves drumstick, and my son loves drumstick. And you know, every time we have a chicken for dinner, we have a big fight as to who gets a drumstick. So we decided to rear a three-legged chicken and there will be no fights after that. Interesting, said the man. That's really good. Tell me, he said, what do the drumsticks of this three-legged chicken taste like? Well, said the farmer, that's the problem. Up to today, I don't know because I've never caught the three-legged chicken yet. You know, you can pursue sometimes and never recover. But God wants us to pursue and to recover. Somebody say amen. And I want to bring you back and this whole uh, uh, theme about pursuing and recover, back to a place where David met an absolute disaster, totally unexpected in his life. And this was at a place called Ziklag. Everybody says Ziklag. Ziklag was where he came back after having been away for three days with his army of 600 men. He had gone out with them to try to join forces with the Philistine army on the pretext of fighting with them, okay? And that was when he was on the run from King Saul. He had these 600 men with him. And, when, and the Philistine army dispensed with them and said, no, we don't want you to be part of our force. Didn't trust them. And David and his um, uh, 600 men came back to their settlement, their settlement at Ziklag. And they found it had been raided by the Malachites, their enemies, and uh, their sons and daughters together with their wives, and all their possessions had been carried off. And the Bible tells us that all the men who were with David wailed with a loud wail. They were crying at the top of their voice and the whole spirits became very bitter. You must understand, these 600 men were the men David had raised single-handedly from when they were nobodies in the cave of Adullam. Uh, People who were in distress, debt and discontent. I call them the famous D-class of David. And they became valiant fighting men. They were nobodies. They were scoundrels and gangsters and rascals. Now they became valiant fighting men. One army, totally loyal to David. Totally, unswervingly loyal to David. And then in the midst of this disaster at Ziklag, when they saw all their sons and daughters taken off, had been taken off, they lost everything. They now turn on David with great hatred and bitterness in their spirit. And the Bible tells us they were thinking of stoning David him. Have you ever been in a situation like that before? Where not only there has been disaster and devastation, but the very best friends, the very people who have been loyal to you, your best buddies, are turning against you. And this was David's situation at Ziklag, where he lost everything. We take it in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 to 6, this story. Now, when David and his man came to Ziklag, they found that their Amalekites had raided it and burned it with fire, and their wives and their sons and daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul. David didn't know what to do. Now he couldn't go forward because the Amalekites had a 3 days' head start. He didn't know which, where in the big desert the Amalekites had gone. And before him was all his burning settlement. Totally. Everything gone. He couldn't, he didn't know where to go forward. He couldn't go backwards because the Philistine armies were at the back. He couldn't go to the right or to the left sideways because his very own loyal men were thinking of stoning him. where to go? We've lost everything. Some of you may be in a situation like that. You may have lost something partially or something significantly. Even in our nation, we have lost a lot of things. Where do we go? But here is the point. Twelve verses later, in the same story, in 1 Samuel 30. Twelve verses later, we read these words. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. Nothing was missing. David brought back all. Just in case you missed the point, the Bible says it again. David brought back all. And just in case some of us were still asleep, David recovered all. The flocks and the herds and the people said, this is David's spoil. David recovered all. Somebody say, recovered all. David recovered everything. What happened between the point where people, when his men, his own loyal men, unswervingly loyal to him, were thinking of stoning him, when everything was devastation, two twelve 12 verse verses later, he recovered all. The secret actually lies in this verse, in the second part of verse 6 in this account. This was the turning point. This is how David began the process of recovering all. You know, this was in verse 6, the second part. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. It's a very, very powerful verse. David strengthened himself. This is the secret. When we learn the secret, when we learn the art, when we learn the faith level, when we learn what is needed to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, it becomes a turnaround point. Now, the word strengthen himself in the Lord in the Hebrew actually means standing resolutely firm, unwaveringly uh, 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 resolute against the wind and against the tide. The wind may be blowing in one particular direction, but you're firm. Firm in knowing who God is, firm in knowing His values, firm in knowing His promises, because He David just didn't strengthen himself in his inner self. He strengthened himself in the Lord. So he was un, unwavering in his stand for who God is, what God promises are to him, and he stood there against all the elements that swirling around him. It was as if in a big hurricane when all the winds are shifting direction at high speed all the time, he's in the eye of the storm. He strengthened himself in the Lord. It is the ability to get up again and again after you've been knocked down when things have gone against you? You get up again and you get knocked down again, and you think, God, are you there? And, and you get up again and you get knocked down. The ability to get down again, get up again and again after you've been knocked down is the mark of strengthening yourself in the Lord. Let me tell you the story of a man called Joe Jeanette. Joe Jeanette was actually a, a world heavyweight boxing champion, he holds up to today the record. For the largest number of times, a World Heavyweight Boxing Champion has been knocked down and yet got up to win the title. He was knocked down 46 times in his 50 uh, bout round in the World Heavyweight Boxing Championship in 1909. Now in those days, you know, the World Heavyweight Boxing went on for 50 rounds. Now it goes on for 15 rounds. Last time it was 50 rounds. Of course, that's not allowed today. But he got up 46 times after he had been knocked down, forty-six knocks down, knockdowns. He went. He got up forty-six times, and on the fiftieth round, he got up from his stool for the final round, and his opponent was too exhausted to get up. And Joe Jeanette became the whole, wave, whole wave, heavyweight champion. And I want to say this today that because of this ability to get up after you've been knocked down, that's the secret of strengthening yourself in the Lord. Where? How did David strengthen himself in the Lord? We are not told in the Ziklag account. David never wrote about the Ziklag account because we don't know what was the internal mechanics or internal dynamics or how he strengthened himself in the Lord because David never wrote about this. But he wrote about something that was far worse than Ziklag, maybe 10 times worse than Ziklag. It was when his son Absalom committed high treason, took over the father's throne and and took over the kingdom usurped the father's throne, and the father, David, had to run, flee into the wilderness for his life. In one day, David lost everything. He lost his throne, he lost the kingdom, he lost his army, he lost his generals, he lost his counsellors, he lost his wealth and his possessions, he lost his family, even his concubines and wives were in captivity. He lost everything, including his own son. He lost his reputation because there were people spitting at him and throwing stones at him after he, he, he was dethroned. You know, he lost everything. I doubt there's any one of you during this season who has ever lost as much as David did in just one day. He lost everything in one day. And he wrote about this. He wrote about this experience and how he turned around and how he strengthened himself in the Lord in Psalm 3, which is subtitled, A Psalm of David, When He Fled from Absalom His Son. Here, It's an entry point to understand how David strengthened himself in the Lord. Ziklag doesn't tell us, but in Psalm three, if I can take Psalm three and superimpose it upon the narrative account at Ziklag, we have a key to understand how David strengthened himself in the Lord and turned around the situation. When we understand the four principles taken from Psalm three by which we, we David strengthened himself in the Lord and turned around, we understand how we can pursue, overtake, and recover all. Somebody say amen to that. Psalm 3 verses 1 to 2. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? This is David now, after Absalom has usurped the throne and, and chased him into the wilderness and is fleeing for his life, lost everything, he said these words, just like David would have said a ziklag. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O God, O Lord. Look at David right now. He's not like an ostrich burying his head in the sand, denying there's a problem. God, you are great. I just deny the problem. He didn't do that. He tells you the problem. Many are rising against me. How many are my foes? Many are saying there's no hope for him. He's a dead duck because there's no salvation for him. Nobody can save David. That's the problem. But now, notice how in this verse, he puts... The whole problem in parenthesis. He starts with, "Oh Lord. He finishes with, But you, Oh Lord. In other words, the, pro- the problem may be big. However big it is, it is in parenthesis compared to God who's at the beginning and the end of our problems. Can somebody say amen? God will see us through. In other words, if He said the beginning is the end, He will see us through. Can somebody say an amen? That's how David saw it. And that's how we must see it. Call on God. And then face the problem. Many of us, we call on a the problem. Then we look for God. He called on God. He put the problem in parenthesis. Then he faced the problem. He was not like an ostrich bearing his head in the sand. He knew exactly what the problem was. But he put it in parenthesis. He called on God. When we do that, the problem gets smaller. Our God gets bigger. Somebody say, amen. <laughs> man. It's just like uh, Edmund Hillary, you know. Before he summited, Everest, he tried summiting the year before in 1952 a mountain that was not quite as high as Everest. It was 27,000 feet. It was Cho Oyu. You know, Everest is 29,000. Cho Oyu is 27,000. He tried summiting it the year before in 1952, and he failed. He was turned back. And as he stood there at the base looking at Cho Oyu, and beyond that, Everest, he said to Everest, I will conquer you because you cannot get any bigger, but I can. I can. I can get bigger and stronger in my physique, in my determination, in my perseverance, in my capacity, in my skills. I can get stronger. I will conquer you. And that's how it is when David starts. He sees it in exactly the same way. The problem may be big, but I will conquer you because my God is bigger. And when I draw from Him, I can get bigger. And I will conquer that problem. Somebody say an amen. So he called on God first, then faced the problem. Don't call on the problem and shout the problem, then look for God. At Ziklag, David did exactly that. He turned to Abiathar, the high priest, and said, bring me the Urim and Thummim, the ephod. Urim and Thummim are two white and black stones, you know, which have a spiritual significance in terms of guidance in the Old Testament. And we're not told how it's, it's actually processed. But using the Urim and Thummim, God spoke to David and said, you know, David, You pursue, for you shall surely overtake them without fail and recover all. And David consulted God first. David looked for God first. Now, we don't use the Urim and Thummim today. The New Testament equivalent of the Urim and Thummim today is the Holy Spirit's inner witness in our hearts. Can God speak to us? Can somebody say amen? Because God speaks to us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That is the Urim and Thummim today. That's the equivalent in New Testament time. The point is, David consulted God. David called on God. David didn't just look at the problem and he heard God. This has been David's behavior all his life, even when he was a shepherd boy and he faced Goliath. Goliath looked at him coming with a sling and stone and some sticks and Goliath spat on the ground and cursed him. The Bible tells us, Goliath said, am I a dog? that you come against me with sticks? David was not in any way faced at all. He looked up at Goliath because he's got a big God, you see. You come against me with a sword and a shield and a javelin, but I come against you, David said, today in the name of the Lord God of Israel, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And today God will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you and I will take your head from you and I will feed the carcasses of the Philistines, the birds of the air and the beasts of the field that all the earth will know there is a God in Israel. He call on God first. That's been his habit, right through when he was a shepherd boy, to when he was a Ziklag, to when he was fleeing from Absalom. Same thing. This is what we must do. When we in dire straits in our nations, whatever it is, yeah, go front, cannot go back, cannot go sideways, cannot. Where to run? Call on God and face the problem. If we don't run away from the problem, we call on God. Here's the second thing that David did. He confessed who God is over the problem. He confessed who God is over the problem. Sometimes we forget how big our God is. We just remember how big the problem is. You know, we just sometimes remember how big the problem is. We forget how big God is. Not David. He confessed who God is over the problem. Psalm 3 verses 3 to 4. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. He said, you are a shield, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy heel. Everybody says shield. So, shield. David said firstly, God, you are my shield. A shield is very important because when we say God is our shield, it's not just the first line of defense, it is the first step of returning, turning things around, and going on the offense. You see, shield doesn't just protect you from the flaming darts and the arrows and and the spears and the swords and all that. But you know the shield. People see it as the line of defense only. But actually, with the shield, you charge, you push back the enemy. And as you push them back, they're out of balance. That's when you you strike them. That's when you chop them. That's when you spear them. See, the shield is the turning point. But oh, you God, God, you are my shield. It's not just defense. This is when I begin to take the offensive. Because God is the shield over my mind, my body, my spirit. Some of us are facing mental challenges. We may be suicidal. We may be depressed. We may be lonely. We may be fearful. Some of us are in despair and hopelessness. Some of us are in darkness. But God, you are a shield over my mind. You are a shield over my body. You are a shield over my spirit because I lack faith. You are my shield. It's a shield. It's a defense in order to go back on the offense and turn things around. Here's the second thing that David confessed. God, you are my glory. My glory over my fear, my loss of confidence and faith. You see, we are sons and daughters of the living God. Somebody say, Amen. We are children of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. But we forget that, you see. Because you see the problem and see all the powers that are around. Stronger than us, more money, more power. We, we have, we have, but we forget. We need to remember that God wants us to carry His glory. You know, if somebody is very, if your father is very rich, let's say you're the son of the, maybe the richest man in Asia, say Li Ka-Shing. You know what? You, you walk into a place, you carry a glory. I'm, this is kind of a, what we call a, a kind of a more human kind of glory, okay? everybody knows who you are. They know the power behind you. They know the richness behind you. You behave differently because you know. You have authority. You have the confidence. We need to have that back in us. You are child of the living God. You are son and daughter of the living God. God is your father. Can somebody say amen? God, you're my glory. I've lost my confidence, but God, you're my glory. I've lost, I'm in fear. I've lost my, Faith, I've lost my spiritual authority. I don't believe that you are with me because, you know, I've not been walking with you closely. I've not been attending church. I've not been going to my connect group. You know what? I'm struggling in my prayer life. God, I... God, you are my glory. Despite all this, what Jesus has done for you means it will be unchanged. You remain a child and daughter of the living God. Somebody say, amen. You are my glory. Everybody say, God, you are my glory. You're... And then David say, God, you are the lifter of my head. See, when, when we have no pride, when we don't know who our God our Father is, we hang our heads down. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, sometimes we see this among some of the Bumi, our Bumiputra brothers and sisters, you know, in, in the interior of Sabah. You know, that's why Pastor Chu and Pastor Lichu together with us in skyline, we pour money into starting hostels to help the Bumiputra uh, children, you know, who are marginalized and in rural areas, Because one day, that's my belief, that's my desire. One day, I want Bhumiputra leaders of God, people who know God and love God, Bhumiputra's leaders who have strength and faith and convictions and leadership to lead my family and to meet my children and my grandchildren. I would like that. That's what we saw. But when you first see them, sometimes when they come from rural interior, and you ask them their names, because they've been so hemmed in by a spirit of either poverty or even inferiority, you talk to them, hello, what's your name? They hardly reply to you. They hang their head low. They don't even look at you. What do you want to be when you grow up? You hardly hear an answer. They murm- murmur it or mumble it. But after three or four years, when you grow their confidence in their lives, when you grow faith in their lives, when you grow, you know, to help them to, to learn to speak English and begin to believe that God can use them and they begin to achieve academically and they begin to learn leadership, you go to them, see them. Three, four years later, when you see them, they come up to hug you. Eyeball, eyeball. Welcome, you know, good to see you and to speak to you in English or BM or whatever. What do you want to become? Well, I want to become a teacher. Great. What do you want to become? I want to become a manager of a company. Wow, great. Last time they hardly mumbled anything. They have no future. What do you want to become? I want to become a doctor or, or an accountant. That's great. What do you want to become? I want to become a politician in Sabah. But not a Qatar type. The real politician. The lift of my head. I can look again. You know, many years ago, not many years ago, last year actually, I was undergoing some really big challenges in my life right now. Things are beyond my control for six months. It was just coming under, I, I just think that the burden every day on that. And you know, I could hang my head down and just, you know, continue just to moan and groan in my own soulishness as a senior pastor. Or I could decide to call upon God and confess who God is. So when I call upon God and confess to God, you see, you know, sometimes as senior pastors, you don't really realize, we go, we are humans. We go through the same challenges that you go. Whatever your challenges are, we go through it. Whether it's our family, you know, our work, our finances, our things that are beyond our control, we go. And yet, every Sunday, we've got to stand up there and say, God is great. He's a great God. Hallelujah. We may be facing some of the biggest challenges in our life. Huge burden. We've got to break it. So the church will rise up in faith. You understand me? How do you do that? How? Only God can lift my head. In those six months, God lifted my head. God will take us through whatever your challenges. I have my own challenges, but God will take us through. Us, meaning me as well. And God took me through. So you got to say that. You got to believe that. Because He will lift up your head, even when you're going through depression. Some of you may be suicidal. You may think it's not worth living. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen. God is the lifter of your head. He is your glory. He is your shield. And He he is the answer. Everybody say, God is the answer. I walked into a cafe once. The cafe, you know, it's a beautiful, delicious chocolate cakes, And this big poster in the cafe says, whatever your question, chocolate is the answer. I will tell you, chocolate is not the answer. It's part of the problem, not the answer. But whatever your problem, whatever you're going through, God is the answer. He says, God, you're my answer. You answered me from my holy hill, from your holy hill, over my confusion, lack of direction. You see, when you don't know what to do and you're calling on God and confessing Him, here's the secret, okay? When you don't know what to do, call upon Him, confess who He is, and then do the next thing you need to do. That's all. Just do the next thing. And as you do the next thing, God will show you what He wants to do. It's like if a car wants to change direction, you, just, you have to move first before you can change direction. If the car stays stationary, it's very hard to change direction because there's no momentum to go. Just do the next thing first. God says to each one of you right now, whatever situation you're in, do the next thing that's right for you first. Just do it. Call upon God. Confess who He is. You see, then the problem shrinks to its size and you get a sense of direction. You know, there's this huge stone massive in the middle of the Australian desert. It's called... Ayers Rock. Now, it's it's sacred to the Aboriginals, so the First Nations people call it Uluru. But at the base of this photograph are thousands of people standing there looking up at Ayers Rock. You can't see them because that's the size of the stone massive. It's so huge. Okay. But one day I was flying over the Australian desert and in the air, I looked down at Ayers Rock. It was just a pebble. So when you confess who God is and He lifts up your head and He's your glory, and you begin to return his spiritual authority. You begin to see your problem in its right size as God sees them. Somebody say an amen to that. That's how David did it. And here's the third thing that he did. He composed his spirit. Now, in the middle of that, we call upon God, we confess with, now we bring convergence in. We compose in our spirit so that we will rise in faith. And what's the best way of composing your spirit? It's learn to be rested in God. For David, when he was on the run from Absalom, he went to sleep. He, he went to sleep first. That's how he composed the Spirit. This is what he said. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Listen to this. I lay down and slept. Then what happened? I woke up again. Then how do you feel? I will not be afraid. Why? The Lord sustains me. You know, you can ask Pastor Chu and Pastor Lee Chu. You know, in a in a private moment, they will share with you. Sometimes one of the best things to do when you actually carry the burdens of the church and so many challenges of the churches of the church, sometimes unexpected and people's burdens and all that. What's the best thing to do? Sometimes for me as a bivocational pastor, I've got clinic challenges. You know, I've got workplace challenges. I've got family challenges. I've got, uh, how, you, know, you know, my travel itinerary challenges. I've got, you know, my, my um, church challenges. Sometimes they're all coming at once. What do you do? Go to sleep. And how do you go to sleep? You go to sleep by saying, Jesus, it's not my problem. It's your problem. So I give it to you. Hallelujah. Good night, Jesus. I'm going to sleep. And then when I woke up, the Lord has sustained me. I will not be afraid. And suddenly, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You compose your spirit and it goes to a conversion. Somebody say an amen. And I tell you, this, I tell you a secret. That's how your senior pastors cope with all the problems. That's how. Look at them. They're so joyful. You know, after 26 years, is it? 26 years, You guys are still going strong. You know, after 20 years, I'm still going strong. When I walk into my church on a Sunday, I'm excited! Hallelujah! Church! It's good to be alive! People say, how does he do it? Huh? Sleep. Learn to sleep. <laughs> David didn't sleep at Ziklag. He composed his spirit when he heard from what God said to him. See, there are many types of sleep. If you sleep because you're in addiction, despair or depression, you will wake up the same. You'll sleep worse. But if you sleep because you you give it all to Jesus, you wake up with confidence and faith. That's how God revived every one of his servants. Whether Abraham or Jacob or Elijah or Daniel or Paul, he revived them like that. When Abraham was complaining to God and saying to God, God, where is my successor? Where is my, my son that you promised me? No one is here to succeed me. God put him into a deep sleep and cut a new covenant with him. It's the same with Jacob when he was on the run as a scoundrel from his uh, elder brother Esau, because he cheated Esau. and was on the run. God encountered him sleep, gave him the vision of angels ascending and descending. And then he woke up and says, God is in this place. When I come back to this place, I will build an altar here. I will remember this. It was, and then God made him, you know, the, the father of the 12 tribes. The, because then he became the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, it was the same with Elijah. When he was on the run from Jezebel and Ahab, You know, he was exhausted. He slept. And when he woke up, God gave him angel cake. And after that, in the strength of that sleep and that waking up, revived him to give him a second mandate in the time of the rule of King Ahab. Same with Daniel. God gave him a vision about the 70 years that was up so that the people would come back from Babylonian captivity. It's the same with Apostle Paul. He had a vision. He was exhausted. But he had a vision. A Macedonian man calling him in his dream. And that was the beginning of the gospel to Europe. That's how God revived us. How do you sleep today? How are you sleeping? If you're not sleeping well, let me tell you, stop counting sheep. Talk to the shepherd. Hallelujah, man. Talk to the shepherd, man. Come on. That's right. I know it's been said many before, but I feel that's the time to say to you. I once asked, uh, you know, I've so many things juggling, and so this is how we cope. Learn to compose your spirit. In sleep, in rest, in arrestedness. restedness. You know, during this time of stock market volatility, I asked a stockbroker the other day, how are you sleeping? I said to him, poor oh, it plunges like crazy and then goes up and it's so volatile. He said, I sleep like a baby. Wow, I said, that's incredible. Tell me, how do you sleep like a baby? What's the secret? He said, it's very easy. I go to sleep and then, you know, I sleep for an hour. Then I wake up an hour later and I start crying. Then I go back to sleep again and I wake up a few hours later, I start crying, just like a baby, he says. That's how I sleep like a baby. But you don't have to sleep like that kind of a baby. Somebody say amen. You sleep the sleep of God's beloved. Can somebody say amen to that? When you call upon God, you compose, you you confess who He is and now you bring convergence because by faith, you believe what He has said to you. Then you are ready, spiritually, to begin to activate what God has called you. You begin to chase, overtake, and recover all. And when you chase, you chase. You believe God will give you full recovery. This is what happened when God told David to pursue. 1 Samuel 30 verse 17, Then David attacked the Amalekites from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. Somebody say, recover all. Yeah, it is again. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken away because he gave chase. There are many God, things God wants you to chase in this, next, in this next few months, this next one year, this next two years. God wants you to chase and not give up and believe that if you pursue we will recover all. Can somebody say amen? For your family, for your finances, for your workplace, for your relationships, for this nation. Can somebody say amen? For the church in Malaysia. And this is what David did, you know, in, 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 uh, when he was fleeing from Absalom, verses 7 and 8. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I chase, but you strike. I chase and I don't give up. And you break. You. You break. It's a partnership with God. Everything we want to do in this nation, we need to do it with God. Everything you want to do in this church, you need to do it with God. If you do not have a praying church, there is no engine room. There is no God. You cannot do anything lasting. If you want to be a church that builds legacy, and SIB is a legacy-making church. Somebody say Amen. It not only makes legacies, new legacies, it leaves legacies and it creates new legacies. That's what I want the church to be. Church is not into a, 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 a philosophy of shock, sundity. You know what it is? It's just like, wow, it's all for our own goosebumps. Now we build a legacy. And to build legacies, we need the Holy Spirit. We need God to be with us. And when God says pursue and overtake, we pursue and we overtake. But we understand fundamentally it is God who strikes It is God who breaks. Can somebody say amen? For salvation belongs to the Lord. And so God answered David and said, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them without fail and recover all. And David did so. He pursued. Where to go? He doesn't know where to go. He just randomly chose a direction. And he just went. Remember, when you don't know what to do, just do the next thing. And he went and he found a slave that would been left behind by the Amalekites. And that slave pointed them into the right direction. Just do the right thing. God, would you lead you to the right person, the right connection, the right event, the right opportunity. Just do it. But don't stop doing it. Don't stop pursuing. You've got to be like a bulldog. I don't know how many of you rear dogs, but how many of you think bulldogs are beautiful animals? Lift up your hands, wave it at me. I see all those many hands online as well. Thank you for affirming what I feel. My aesthetic taste, you know, is really very much like us. Thank you for affirming that. Bulldogs are beautiful animals. I love them. Why? Because you've got big mouth. And they have got big flat noses. With big nostril holes. And what is that for? Because when they chomp on something, they don't have to let go. Why? Because have got big nostrils, can still breathe. Whereas well, if you have a Scots terrier or an Afghan hound, the moment they chomp on something, they've got long pointed noses, you know, sharp, sharp jaws. They chomp on something, only small bites. Mickey Mouse bites. And not only that, their own hair gets into the way of their nostrils. Or the hair of the other animal gets into the way of the nostrils. So they cannot breathe. After a while, it's like having double, triple layer of mask on. They've got to let go. But a bulldog, once it chomps on you, He pursues, he overtakes, he chomps, he doesn't let go. Mm -hmm. He's still breathing, Mm -hmm. he doesn't let go. That's why you and I, you got to be like a spiritual bulldog. Somebody said, "Amen." turn to your neighbor and say, be like a bulldog. I didn't say look like a bulldog, okay, be like a bulldog. I once visited a friend and I rang on the front doorbell at his gate And this friend was standing outside his house, there's a door. He said, come in, come in. The bulldog was barking at me and snarling. And growling and snarling and barking. I said, no, no, your your bulldog. He says, don't worry. This bulldog doesn't bite one. I said, no, it really looks fierce. Come and leash up the bulldog so I can come in. He said, don't worry, this bulldog doesn't bite. Haven't you heard the saying? Barking dogs don't bite. I said, I know the saying. And you know the saying, but does your dog know the same?" A bulldog and David pursued. He overtook the Amalekites and he recovered all that the enemy had taken. Where was the turning point at Ziklag? Many of you, you're facing your own Ziklag. The COVID has caused Ziklag to happen. Where's the turning point? David strengthened himself in the Lord. How? Psalm 3 tells us. He called upon God. He confessed who God is. He composed his spirit to arise in faith. And then he gave chase. He overtook and he recovered all. Today, for our nation, for our situation, We need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We need to pursue, overtake and recover. Somebody say, Amen. Where is the beginning of this strengthening ourselves in the Lord? It's when we come to God in prayer. You see, you see this. If you call upon God and you confess who He is and you compose your spirit, all these three things is prayer. It's prayer. All these are three spiritual activities in prayer first. And then when you spiritually begin to chase, it's still prayer, then you begin to activate what you need to do. Three and a half or 3.4, 3.3 out of the four things is actually spiritual and prayer first. See, when your senior pastors in this church leads you to pray and tells you to call out to God, they're not only asking you for this nation or for the state of Sabah. The coming Savoy elections is a litmus test for our nation. We all know that. It's got stakes higher than this uh, another state election. We know that. But the spiritual determines the natural. Somebody say amen. The unseen determines the seen. Somebody say amen to that. And when we do so for our state and for our nation, for the church, we reap the side benefits for our lives. We will, when we do that, recover all for our health. Somebody say, Amen. We will recover all for our health. We will recover all for our finances. How many of you want that? Come and see your hands lifted up in the air. We will recover all for our families. How many of you want that? Can you see it? Get your hands up in the air. We will recover all for our church. We will recover all for our state. We will recover all for the future of our nation. You know, just at the beginning of the lockdown, something happened in our nation and Suddenly, we are all totally at sixes and sevens. It's almost like a zigzag. We want to go to the front, go, go forward. Cannot. Don't know where to go. Want to go backwards? The way is blocked. Want to go sideways? We look at each other. We are confused. People are saying this, people are saying that. It's a zigzag situation, you see. A turning point. But the church strengthened herself in the Lord. That's a turning point. And when the church strengthens itself in the Lord, you and I strengthen ourselves in the Lord, that's a turning point. That's a turning point for our lives. What is defence now becomes offence. Many years ago, I wrote a book called The Sons of Issachar. Now, I've translated, i retitled it The Call of Issachar. This was written 20 years ago about God's call for every one of us to rise up to pray as intercessors today. The Call of Issachar is about mobilising intercessors today. And this is a praying church. And I want to say this. If you read, where does this word come from? Issachar. It's one of the tribes of Israel. And it is a tribe in 1 Chronicles 12, which said of this tribe, this tribe is a small tribe, it's not a big tribe. Of all the tribes of Israel, you know, they're represented by tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. The tribe of Issachar was very small, but they had this distinctive. They knew the signs of the times. And they knew what the nation of Israel ought to do, what the people of God ought to do. That is the mark of the call of Issachar. How many of you want to be of the tribe of Issachar? You know the signs of the times and you know what this nation and what you ought to do in this time. This is the call of Issachar. You can pick up this book. It's only 69 pages. But it will help you understand why God is calling intercessors to arise today and why you are already an intercessor. It will give you the key to pursuing, to overtaking and to recovering all that the enemy has stolen from you. If that is what you want today, whether you buy this book or not, but what you want today is that you want to pursue, recover and, and overtake, overtake and recover all that the enemy has stolen from you. If that's your desire, I invite you to stand on your feet right now because as I pray, I want to pray for you. Whether you're online, whether in your living room, in the house, in your cafe, whatever or here on site. I want to pray this prayer for you. Lift up your hands, everybody. Let's lift it up unto the the God who is, because it's part and parcel of us beginning our call upon God. Father, I just thank you for each and every one here. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us, God, the means of God to turn around from strengthening ourselves in the Lord and pursuing, overtaking, and recovering all. And I pray this for our nation right now in these times. That we will be a nation of God, that we will be well known, oh God, for justice and righteousness. We will be a nation that will prosper economically. We will be a nation where there is harmony and there is peace and there is prosperity. Somebody say an amen to that. And we, as we stand here with our hands lifted up, it will happen into our family, Lord. It will happen into our, our finances, our business, our employment, our work, our health, our mental health and our mental strength right now. Lord, we cry out to you that You are the glory and the lifter of our heads. You are our shield, God. You are our answer right now. And therefore in Your name, in Your name, we take strength from You right now. And I pray as our hands are lifted up and our hearts are opened right now. I speak right now prophetically, SIBKL, wherever you are, whether you're listening online as you lift up your hand before God, in Jesus' name, pursue, overtake, and recover all that God has promised to you. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's wonderful people said, Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand. Let's give Him a big cheer. Because God is with us today. Hallelujah. And one more thing. As you remain standing, I want to pray for those of you who have never given your heart to Jesus before. Because you know, 2,000 years ago on the cross, Jesus went boldly to the cross. Died on the cross for your sins and mine. He pursued what God has called him to do. He overtook and overcame the enemy and he recovered all for you and me to give you eternal life today, eternal hope. And today, if you open the door of your heart, he will come into your heart, give you a new life, fill you with his hope and peace and give you a new beginning and you will recover all that the enemy has taken away from you and your family. If that's your desire today, will you pray this simple prayer with me, whether online, whether where you are in your living room, or whether here on site. Pray this prayer. Say, Father God, I thank you for Jesus. What he's done for me on the cross. Today, with all my heart, I believe that on the cross, He took away my sins. I believe He rose again from the dead to conquer sin and death and hell. Today, I open my heart, Jesus, and invite you in. Come into my heart as my Lord, my Savior, and my Master. With my mouth, I confess, Jesus, You are Lord. With my heart, I believe God raised Jesus from the dead. And by that confession, today, I am saved. I give You praise and I give You thanks that You are a great and an amazing God. And in Jesus' name, I believe, together with all my brethren here right now today, what you have promised us, we shall pursue, we shall overtake, and we shall recover all because you have recovered all. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's wonderful people said, Amen. Come on, let's Amen. give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah!